last couple of days, I was talking to the worship team earlier this morning and I said, I'm going to have to quit preaching some of these sermons because it seems like God always wants to test me in whatever I'm doing. And so this morning I end up having to get up here and play guitar. I'm more comfortable preaching, believe me, than doing that, but some things happened this week and and so here I am doing that as well, but uh, it's really interesting to think about, uh, about how God takes and uses our life. Even the song, we ended up switching around all our music at the last minute yesterday, and, and I was just thinking about how the last song that we sang, The Stand, is really a song that fits so perfectly with the, with the message that we're going to hear from God's Word today. So just trust that God's at work and, and doing what He wants, and I pray that He'll do that this morning through His Word. Back when I was going to a seminary at Golden Gate Seminary, I, I met a professor there, um, got to know him well. His name was Dane Miller, really great guy, and uh, fortunate enough to take a couple classes from him. This guy was brilliant. I mean, tr- literally brilliant, probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. The guy knew Hebrew and Greek better than I know English. And he had a PhD or a, a doctorate from the University of Arizona in um, in ancient culture and history of Israel. And, and I was fortunate just to get to know him and, and consider him to be a friend and a mentor. But even though this guy was brilliant, he was one of the most unassuming people that you would ever meet. I mean, the only time we ever called him Dr. Miller was kind of in jest. That became kind of a joke because all the time he was just plain old Dane to all of us who knew him. And Dane pastored a little tiny church out in Three Points, Arizona. Now, some of you don't even know where Three Points is, and those of you who do might be wondering, why would someone who's that brilliant spend 30 years of his life ministering in a little tiny church in Three Points, Arizona? A lot of other people wondered that over the years, too. Uh, I can't, I I know how many times people would would talk to Dane, and they go, Dane, why are you wasting all your talent out there in this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere, this troubled little community out there, why are you wasting all your time out there ministering when you could do so much more? And, and when people would ask that, it, it began to remind me that, that sometimes even within the church, we're okay with people just kind of being, quote, normal Christians, right? You know, they go to church most of the time, maybe put a little money in the offering plate, Maybe even serve somewhere in the church once in a while. But when somebody totally, completely sells out their life to do whatever God has has called them to do, sometimes we get a little uncomfortable with that and we think, man, that person is just wasting their life. Whether it's in, in, in Three Points, Arizona, or whether it's out in the middle in a tiny village in a jungle somewhere. This morning, the, the prayer that we're going to look at is a a prayer that's really difficult, I think, for most Christians to pray. To be real honest, it's one that I don't think very many Christians pray, and, and maybe most of us here have never prayed it, and probably some of us here never will pray it. It's a really hard prayer to pray. Now, all these dangerous prayers that we're looking at in this sermon series, they're all hard to pray, right? Last week, we looked at the prayer, Search Me, and we talked about the fact that There aren't a whole lot of people that are willing to pray that prayer because if you pray that prayer to Jesus and say, Jesus, search me, then you have to do something about those blind spots and about that hidden sin in your life that He reveals to you. And next week, we're going to look at another prayer, prayer, send me. And that's a dangerous prayer too, right? To just say, God, you go ahead, send me wherever you want to send me. I'm here, 
send me. That's a dangerous prayer. And again, not a lot of people are going to pray that. But the prayer we're going to look at this morning, the prayer break me, is I think undoubtedly the most difficult of all the prayers to pray. Because when we pray that prayer, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, Jesus, I want you to just take me and, and use me. I'm willing to pour out all my life for you to just use me wherever you want. And, and frankly, that's not something that most people are going to pray. But I will also tell you this, that like the other prayers in this series, if, that if you're willing to pray that prayer, God is going to use that in your life. He's going to use it to, to draw you closer to Him. He's going to use it to, to radically transform your walk with Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at two accounts. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to look at two different accounts in that, in that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat backs in front of you, and the verses will be on the screen as well. But there's two different passages I want to look at here, and, and at first they might look like they're completely unrelated, but I'm going to show you this morning how the two actually do tie together. And maybe, just maybe this morning, give you a different look at something that most of us are really familiar with. So, so Mark chapter 14, the first account I'm going to read for you this morning begins in verse 3. It says, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's really true, isn't it? That's why we have it written down in the Scripture for us today. Now, this same account is recorded also in Matthew and John's Gospels. The, the account in Matthew is almost exactly the same as what we read here, but John actually gives us some more details as to what's going on here. John tells us that the woman who's unnamed here was actually Mary, who was the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And he also tells us that this took place six days before the Passover. It's the Passover where Jesus is going to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to become our Passover lamb for us. There's also an account in Luke, in Luke chapter 7. And a lot of people have tried to tie that passage to this one. And so they'll claim that the woman here is a, a sinner or a prostitute. But there's some problems with that, frankly. The account in Luke chapter 7 happens much earlier in the ministry of Jesus. So it's not here at the, the last week of his life. It also happens in Galilee rather than in Bethany where this one takes place. And it happens at the house of a, a Pharisee rather than a leper. Now this, the Pharisee's name happens to be Simon. And because the name of the leper here is Simon, some people tie these together. But Simon was a common name back then. It doesn't mean that the two accounts have to be the same. It would be like in our culture, like saying, well, they went to John's house and John's house, and they're two different people. So that account, I think, is different there. And, and because of that, I think some people have, have actually taken this passage a little bit out of context to be 
real honest. Some of the sermons I saw this week, I think, did that. But this is, this is Mary. So Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross and he goes through this little town of Bethany. He had been there shortly before that because that's where he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so he goes to see Lazarus and Mary and Martha who are his friends and he comes to this house of a guy named Simon who's identified here as a leper. Now it's pretty likely that he was actually someone who had been cured of leprosy by Jesus because you wouldn't go to the house of someone who still had leprosy because you'd be afraid you'd catch it, right? It's kind of like today, you're not going to go to somebody's house to eat dinner if you know they have COVID. You know, that's just probably not something you're going to do. And so probably this guy was someone who had been healed by Jesus and, and they gathered there to, to eat dinner at his house and it would have been a pretty good sized crowd there actually. We know that it would have been Simon, maybe a Mrs. Simon and the little Simonettes, you know, the little kids. Um, we know Mary and Martha and Lazarus are there. We know the 12 apostles are there and Jesus is there. So, so maybe it could have been maybe 20, 25 people who were gathered there and they, they come to eat this meal and they, they're reclining at the table just enjoying the meal and Mary gets up. And Mary takes this alabaster flask that is full of nard and she takes and, and she breaks it and, and anoints Jesus there. Now, we don't know where Mary got this flask of nard. I don't know. Maybe she'd been saving it up little by little over time. Don't really know. But it would have been a, in, a, in a flask here, this nard that came from a plant in the Himalayan mountains. It was really valuable. And it would have been kept in a flask that looks something like this. It was made out of alabaster, which is kind of a white rock that looks similar to granite. would have had a big, long neck on it. Uh, like this and what they would do is they put the nard in there they would seal it up now we don't know where Mary got this but we do know something about it we know it was really valuable it says here one of the disciples said well we could sell this for 300 denarii we we know from John's account it's Judas who's not really worried about helping the poor believe me he's taking care of the treasury so he'd have a little more money to hang on to but 300 denarii that's a lot a denarius is about equal to one day's wage. So what, what this is, this is something that's worth an entire year's wages. That's a lot, right? To put it into perspective, in today's culture, that might be a really nice car, maybe even a couple of cars, depending on whether you drive you know, a Hyundai like me or you drive a Maserati. You know, It could be a few uh, Hyundais or maybe one Maserati, but it's a lot, right? And somehow she saved this up, and, and she takes and she... And she breaks this. Here's what it says, actually, in in verse 3. It tells us what she did. It says she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And I want you to notice two really important things here, what she does with it. First of all, it says she broke the flask. And then says that she poured it out. So the flask here is it's broken and it's poured out. What she did is she probably broke that long neck there, and, and she actually pours the whole thing on Jesus. She doesn't hold any of it back. And so it's broken. And it's poured out. And so we can begin to identify this, this big idea, this main principle that we're going to draw from the passage today. We can't fully develop it yet until we get to another passage or two. But here's the idea that we want to take away from this passage today. That when I pray, break me, 
I am committing to serve Jesus regardless of the cost. That's what it means when I pray, break me. God, break me. Jesus, break me. I'm saying I'm committed 100% to serving Jesus regardless of what the cost is. Now, in order for us to develop that a little bit more, I told you at the beginning of the message that we're going to be looking at another passage in Mark chapter 14. And it's one that at first doesn't seem to have any connection at all to what we just read, but I, I think I can demonstrate to you that there is indeed a connection. So if you'll skip down to verse 22, this is probably a really familiar passage to most of us. It says this, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, for a lot of us, this is a familiar passage, right? It's what we call the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion. We've probably read this passage a ton of times. But there are a couple of details here that I want to call your attention to this morning. First of all, he talks about the bread. And what does Jesus do with the bread here? He breaks it, right? And he says, this is my body. He takes and he breaks the bread. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we observed the Lord's Supper together, Jesus' body was not physically broken. None of his bones were broken because that was to fulfill prophecy. But I think you could also make the case that there is a sense in which Jesus, in his physical body, in his humanity, he was broken, right? He suffered tremendous emotional brokenness, didn't he? As he went through the crucifixion, as he went through the the agony of hanging on the cross. And he also suffered, I, I think, spiritual brokenness. When all the sins of all mankind, your sins and my sins, when they were poured out upon Jesus on the cross, he was broken there. So Jesus says, yeah, this bread represents my physical body, it represents me as a human and the idea that I'm willing to be broken for you. And then secondly, he said that the, the wine represented his blood, which was what? To be poured out. So Jesus is broken, and he says, I'm poured out. Where have we seen that already this morning, right? The alabaster flask that Mary had. It was broken, and it was poured out. Now, before we can bring this kind of to its fullness here, we need to look at one more passage. Because Luke gives us some, some details about the, this Last Supper that we don't have in, in the account here in Mark. So here's what it says in Luke, in chapter 22. And see if you can notice what's different here, what's been added to the account that we didn't have in Mark. It says, And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is, uh, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So what's, what's different here that wasn't in the other passage? You want to pick up on that? Okay. How about do this in remembrance of me? It's not in Mark's account. It's actually, uh, Paul actually writes this in his account or his instructions for the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
So he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I don't know about you, but all my life, until this week, I always thought that when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he was saying, when you get together, when you gather together, you observe the Lord's Supper, the way you remember me is by eating a little piece of bread and drinking, drinking the cup. And I think that's probably still true. But I was exposed to a different thought about this, a different idea this week that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And it's one that, that really the Greek grammar that underlies this really allows for. What if the this there, the this there, the this, is not merely the eating the bread and drinking the cup. What if, what if this is being broken and being poured out? What if remembering Jesus means the way that I do that is by being broken and being poured out myself? I think that's certainly possible here. It's certainly consistent with what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. These are probably really familiar words for most of us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Your spiritual worship. What Paul is saying there, he says, worship is not just coming to church and singing a couple of songs and listening to a sermon and putting some money in the offering plate. It's not even just coming to observe the Lord's Supper and, and eating a little piece of bread and drinking a thimble full of, of juice. He's saying that true worship is giving everything that I have to God. It's allowing my body, my life to be broken and poured out. And when we pray that prayer, God break me, that's what we're, we're really praying. We're praying that God use me however you can, or as we put it earlier, that I'm committing to serve Jesus regardless of the cost. So I want to kind of take us back with that in mind now. I want to take us back to the, the first passage that we looked there in Mark, beginning in verse 3. And I want to talk about three things that we need to consider when we pray this prayer, break me. Three really important things that, that, that we need to keep in mind. The first thing that we need to think about here is that I need to be prepared to be criticized. Remember, I began the message by talking about how easy it is for us as Christians to criticize people who are totally sold out to Jesus. We're okay if they kind of just give their life a little bit to Jesus, but, but sometimes the people that are really sold out to Jesus, they're the first ones that even other Christians are willing to criticize. I'm not sure, to be real honest, that I've ever totally prayed this prayer break me in my life. I'll be honest with you. But probably the closest I ever came to that was when God called me to become a pastor, to, to, to go into vocational ministry. And I didn't take the, like, the, the kind of the normal path that most pastors take. I didn't get out of high school and go to Bible college and then go to seminary and then finally go become an associate pastor and then maybe a youth pastor and eventually a pastor. Heck, I didn't even become a disciple of Jesus till halfway through my college years. And I didn't go into vocational ministry till I was well into my 40s. That wasn't kind of the normal path. And I remember at the time there was a, a pastor who I still really respect. And when I went to talk to him about it, 
he's, he, was, he wasn't very helpful, to be real honest. He's like, you know, Pat, you really need, if you want to do this, you really need to like, you know, pick up your family and move somewhere and go to seminary for three years. And then maybe after that, you can kind of do it. He was kind of critical to be, to be real honest about what I felt God was calling me to do. Fortunately, there was another pastor who was so much more encouraging. He's like, yeah, Pat, if that's what God's calling you to do, man, I, I'll do everything I can to help you. And he did. He helped me to, to, to get into ministry in some churches around town before I eventually came here to Thornydale Family Church. And we see in this passage how those who are the bystanders here, guess what? They were the first ones to criticize Mary, weren't they? Oh, how could she do this? You know, that's crazy for her to, to sit here to, to, to pour out all this perfume on Jesus. I mean, she could have just taken a little bit of it and poured it out on Him. That would have been fine. She did something they weren't willing to do themselves. And that's what we often find, isn't it, within the church. And if we're going to really sell our lives out to Jesus, the, the first people to criticize us are the ones that are kind of sitting on the sidelines usually, right? So a couple of things. Number one, if you want to sell your life out to Jesus, be prepared for criticism. But number two, if you're not, don't criticize those who do. I think that's an important lesson for us here. Second thing that we learn here is that generosity is good, but worship is better. Generosity is good, but worship is better. It's kind of interesting that it tells us in John that Judas is the one who's really big here and like, hey Jesus, we could, we could have sold this stuff. We could, we could have given to the poor. That's not really what Judas wanted to do, but I think some of the other disciples were probably genuine that. They really did want to help out the poor. But what does Jesus say? He says you're always going to have the poor with you. And he's actually quoting here a verse from Deuteronomy. In order for us to understand what he's saying here, we need to look at the whole verse. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus, here it says in, in this passage this, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Exactly what Jesus says, right? Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So not only does it tell us there will always be poor, but it says that as disciples of Jesus, we ought to be generous to the poor. Jesus, he says, I agree with that. But the fact is, we will always have the poor, right? History has borne out Scripture, hasn't it? Here in the United States, back in January of 1964, Lyndon Johnson began what was called the War on Poverty. And for the next 50 years, after that War on Poverty started, the United States spent over $22 trillion, 22 with a T, trillion dollars to fight poverty. Today, over 50 years later, do you realize that the poverty rate today is almost exactly the same as it was back before we spent $22 trillion trying to fight poverty? We will always have the poor with us. Jesus was right. But what he, tells, he says to, to them, yeah, you're going to have the ability to give the poor. He says, you ought to be generous. And you're going to have time to do that. He says, but what Mary did here was she did something else. She didn't just do that. She worshipped me. She took this, 
this expensive nard that she has, and she poured it out completely. And she did what no one else is going to do. She anointed me for my burial. She understood that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. That's what he told him time after time. And she does what she can. She pours it out. And you know what Jesus says? He says, she has done a beautiful thing. So what we find here is that, that yeah, being generous, that's important. But it's more important to worship Jesus. Not only that, when they say to Mary, man, you wasted all this, what they're really doing is they're saying something about what they think about Jesus too, aren't they? Can you imagine that to say to Mary, here's the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and you just wasted something on Him. You can't waste anything on Jesus. So they were saying something about their opinion of Jesus too. So worship's more important than generosity, though both are required. Finally, the last thing is don't compare myself to others. Don't compare myself to others. Not everyone who was there that day had a, an alabaster flask full of nard that they could have used to anoint Jesus. Probably the disciples didn't have them. Most of them came from poor backgrounds. But it's really interesting what Jesus says here about Mary. He says this, she has done what she could. And that's what Jesus calls all of us to do. He calls all of us to do what we can. And we all have different resources. We all have different talents. We all have different abilities. And I think one of the biggest barriers for us to pray this prayer, break me, and really selling ourselves out to Jesus, is we begin to look around and we see the things that everyone else has. Maybe things that we don't have. And we begin to think, well, God, you can't use me because I don't have what so-and-so has. And on the other hand, maybe... Maybe the disciples here are a little bit jealous here too, right? Maybe they're, they're thinking, man, you know, I wish I could do that for Jesus, but I just, I just don't have that. And so maybe my service isn't really worth anything. And maybe there's some of you who feel like, man, what I have to offer to Jesus, it's just not enough. But what Jesus is saying, quit comparing yourself to everyone else. Just do what you could. Take the things that I've given you that I've entrusted to you and use them for my kingdom. The way that you can. So we've seen this morning that when you pray, break me, when I pray that, I'm committing to serve Jesus regardless of the cost. Probably one of the people that, that has best demonstrated that that, that, that that I'm aware of was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was born in, uh, I think it was 1823. He's born into an impoverished house. And he grew up and, and he began to go to Sunday school. And when he was 17 years old, one day a Sunday school teacher led him to faith in Jesus Christ. A few years later, he decided to move to Chicago. And he moved to Chicago with the idea that he was going to become a businessman and that he was going to get rich. And as he began his business career there, he, uh, he began to teach a Sunday school class for children. Now, I have to realize, D.L. Moody was an uneducated man. He only made it through fourth grade. But he used what God had given to him, and he began to teach these children in a Sunday school class, and he began leading some of them to faith in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't long before he discovered that 
leading people to faith in Christ gave him a lot more fulfillment than making money. And so he began to preach. And this guy who couldn't even put together you know, a complete sentence in English because he was so uneducated, he began to draw large crowds. It was really interesting. A lot of the newspapers of the day, they're like, how could this guy get people to come listen to him? I mean, he can't even, he can't even speak proper English. But at the same time, they, were, they, they realized that these crowds were coming. They began to even print out his sermons in the morning newspaper. Talk about having an influence for Jesus. Well, one day, D.L. Moody went to England, and he went to a revival there, and he, he heard this evangelist. And the evangelist said this. You've probably heard this before. These words are really familiar. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to Him. And D.L. Moody, when he heard that, he said, by God's grace, I will be that man. So my question to you this morning is, will you, by God's grace, be that man or that woman or that boy or that girl that's totally sold out to Jesus. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Father, what a what a difficult prayer this is to pray. Father, and yet, for those that are willing to pray this, Father, you can use them in a mighty way. So I, I guess my prayer this morning is really pretty simple. Help each of us just to think about our own lives. To think about whether or not we're, be, we're willing to be completely sold out for you. That like Jesus, that we'd be willing to be broken and poured out. That like Mary, that we would give all that we have and not hold back anything for ourselves. And then Father, help us to, to do whatever we need to do in our life to come to that place. Father, thank you that, that you can use broken people like us. Thank you for that privilege. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.